Hello listeners and welcome to the third season of Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I am the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year our association hosts several leading mental health conferences that allow us the chance to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as we go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand. From lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics, leading community organisations and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. On average, Australians living in rural and remote areas have shorter lives, high levels of disease and injury, and poorer access to and use of health services compared to those in metropolitan areas. So how can we help improve mental health accessibility to people living in rural and remote areas? Well, this week's podcast guest, Dr. Joseph Dunn, a qualified psychiatrist and medical superintendent, has a solution. And that is simple, to get on the road. Joseph is the author of three books, one of which sold over 40,000 copies in seven languages. In 2011, he founded a national mental health charity called Sykes on Bikes, involving motorcycle riding mental health professionals devoted to reducing the burden of psychiatric illness in rural and remote Australia. He has since ridden his Kawasaki more than 50,000 kilometres around Australia, including three rides from Perth to Sydney. Since its inception, Sykes on Bikes has delivered more than 1,000 one-on-one free health checks in rural and remote Australia, as well as mental health support, advice and awareness seminars. Tune in to this week's episode to hear Joseph tell his story of success, how Sykes on Bikes is transforming rural and remote mental health, and their latest adventure on the road. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the podcast for this week. It gives me great pleasure to actually introduce Dr. Joe Dunn. Joe, thanks very much. My pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having me on your on your podcast. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, mate. Listen, we're all keen to get into the great initiative that you're about to embark on, which is the Sykes on Bikes Ride for 2021. But before we do and share that story with our listeners and the journey and, and how you've got to that... Let's start with yourself. I know you've been in the health profession for around 40 years. Tell us how you've come about to get to where you are right now as, as a psychiatrist. Well, look, science on bikes, no, never give me the microphone because you can't shut me up. It depends upon where you want to start, you know, because look, I did, I did a medical degree. I had really little idea of what I wanted to do when I graduated. I uh, did a diploma in obstetrics and I finished that on the Friday and the Monday I joined the army. Never did obstetrics again. I had a short service commission in the military because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had served in New Zealand and Singapore and Malaysia. Wow. And and I did the fellowship and exams in general practice while I was with them. And then I decided while I was in the army that I always thought psychiatry was quite interesting. So I, but that's what I did. So I came to Australia from New Zealand in 1985. Five years later, I'd finished my specialty training in 1990. I, and from 1990 onwards, I've been working as a psychiatrist in Sydney. What was it about psychiatry that really wanted you, that you felt you really wanted to get into it and study? First of all, I think that the sort of the family that I came from was one of those families that didn't 
talk, intimacy, emotion. They just didn't have the language for it. So when I started practicing medicine and I started to, part of the general practice training was learning how to get people to sort of open up a bit. And what I found is that my patients had this dialect that they all spoke, that they understood. And it was the dialect, it was the language of intimacy and emotion. And, you know, so I kind of thought, that's so interesting. I need to know about that. So I went off and sort of, and that's what I've sort of turned my life to. I reckon that in psychiatry, I have the most interesting job in the world because essentially people are so interesting and the mind is so interesting. And in psychiatry, it doesn't seem to be that we do that much a lot of the time and that we sort of sit around and sort of talk to people a lot and sometimes we'll prescribe medication. But what you come to realize is that sort of sitting around talking and listening can be incredibly powerful for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, just in terms of feeling that they're in a safe place where they have this distress and they you can put a label on the distress and they feel safe to describe it. And they can walk out of the room with a feeling that this is a, I'm not alone. This is a problem. It's got a label. I've got some hope. We can do something with this. Yeah, people have been there before me. It's treatable. Mm. It's I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's really good. So so you also, before we get into Sykes and Bikes, the bipolar poetry, are you still involved with that? Oh, yeah, actually, I've met that kind of – I've just let it go sort of live fellow for a while. It was a very interesting kind of hobby website that I started up, yeah. bipolarpoetry.com. Uh, and I invite people with bipolar disorder from all over the world to submit their their poetry. And I, I've got a little bit la- slack and lazy with it. I, uh, later on this year, I might kind of move into semi-retirement and start finessing that website a bit. But there's now about 4,000 pieces of yeah. poetry on the website submitted by people with bipolar disorder all over the world. A lot of it's not that good, but I put up most of it. And some of it's absolutely inspired and it's fascinating. I read a couple today and I thought they were really good. I read a couple today and I thought they were really good. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's a lot of talent out there. And also, you know, there's a a long-established close association between creativity and mood disorders. Is that right? So people who have depression and bipolar disorder are just usually more creative. And, you know, some of the great writers and poets have been really significantly impaired with mood disorders. How did that initiative come about? The bipolar poetry yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, well, I had a patient, the, the very first, if you go back to number one of the 4,000, the very first poetry was a patient of mine who was a very talented poet. She had a bipolar disorder, quite a bad one, one of the worst I'd ever encountered, but she created this kind of quite magnificent poetry, which I was quite interested in. I, I had a very good English teacher in, in, in one year at school and kind of imbued within me this fascination about poetry. And, so, and at the time, I was the medical superintendent of one of the Ramsey Healthcare Hospitals, and I still am. And in fact, I, I mentioned to the then CEO of the organisation, you know, what about setting this up? So he actually, Ramsey Healthcare not only sponsors Sykes on Bikes, but it actually gave me that website nearly 20 years ago. Wow. And it's been sort of, you know, sputtering away in the background there ever since. It's been a great hobby. It's incredible. And what a great initiative to help people with bipolar to be able to you know, show their creativity and do something like that. It was great to have a read of that. And so I encourage any listeners to jump on there and, and check it out if you have the time. But if we go now to Sykes on Bikes, so 2011, I believe it was, you set out across the Nullarbor. Tell us how it came about. Where did the initiative even, the concept, where did it start from? Okay, I'll give you the spiel. <laughs> a lot of people ask me this because Sykes on Bikes started by sheer accident. I ended up basically starting a national mental health charity 
related to rural and remote mental health at a time when I had no idea about rural and remote mental health. It just seemed to be the logical cause. So it's actually 2010, I got the idea into my head. I'd been a motorcyclist. I had a lot of motorbikes at school and university because that's all I could afford. And I quite enjoyed riding motorbikes. And I did what old farts like me do is you sort of you get to this age and then you go and buy yourself another motorbike. And I got the idea into my head that, well, I'd like to ride across the Nullarbor. That would be, you know, I set that up as man versus nature. Yeah. In June, I'm actually going to be coming back and riding the Nullarbor for the fifth time. <laughs> so That's incredible. In 2010, it was the first time. And I set this up and one of my sons and a couple of my friends joined us and, and my, my friends were a psychiatrist and psychologist. And one of them called us Sykes on Bikes and that name stuck and it stuck ever since. So we rode the Nullarbor and we were sitting in a pub in Kalgoorlie one night and I was saying, why don't we come back next year and we'll do Perth to Sydney and we'll see if anyone wants to join us. And one of them, my mate, the psychiatrist said, oh, Jay, you know, that's so much work. I said, no, 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 it'd be easy. Anyway, he was right. <laughs> it was so much work. And it, we kind of pulled it off 2011. And so we rode Perth to Sydney. That was the first time we've done that. We've done that three times. So, Joe, was it something that you you just sort of, I mean, the statistics are there, right, for the for the mental health challenges that people in rural and remote Australia have. You probably mm. rattled them off the top of your head, but suicide rates mm. for males, two times mm. a rate, Indigenous populations, yeah. one point yeah. or four, up to four times, I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, they're pretty alarming statistics. Did you know, is that what's prompted you to start this? Or you just, was it the combination of wanting to go for riding through Australia and while you're there trying to stop and see what's out there and see if you can help? It was very, it was very much the latter. Okay. It was going for a ride, gathering a lot of people around, all of whom had these common interests, motorcycles and mental health, you know. And so, and so they, you know, and, and if you work in mental health, you kind of fall naturally into working as a team because if you, if you don't, you don't survive. You know, it's a mental health difficulty. So, so what I did was I said to them, well, we've got an organisation. I didn't actually intend to start this, but we've got an organisation now. Shall we, shall we just make this a social club or shall we, shall we try and do something for the community? And then the general consensus was to do something for the community. And so the, and so the message was, well, well, what are we going to do? Well, the logical thing was that we were out there in the bush and we were going through towns. The logical thing in a country the size of Australia is rural and remote mental health. And you're dead right. There's, you know, there's a lot of it out there. The resources aren't that good. There's also just a whole lot of stuff you learn about people in the bush that you just don't get if you're a grey nomad or you're kind of driving through or what you realise is there's no pretensions out there. It is, it's what you see is what you get. People are kind of just very authentic, down to earth. There's no pretensions. What you realise is that most of these small towns run on one or two industries, so there's a fair bit of boom and bust. A lot depends upon the cost of coal, the price of coal, or whether it's raining. And then when you're living in a, in a small community, there is one really big advantage and one really big disadvantage. So, And the big advantage living in a small community is that there's a great sense of community, so that there is a sense that you do talk to your neighbours and people know each other and look out for each other. The disadvantage is that there's no privacy. Mm. <laughs> and, and it's something that in the in you live in the city, you kind of recognize it. You know, yes, you you can smile and chat to your neighbors over the fence, but you kind of there's too many people here. So yeah. you, you want privacy. You know, it's a very different scenario out there where there's a much greater sense of community. And for most people, that's a blessing. And the very minority of people, it's not. Yeah. 
So did it surprise you on the first ride that you undertook? Did it surprise you at the extent or the demand for such services, which or the support and the awareness that you guys were hoping to bring? Well, first of all, I didn't quite know what to expect. So when you say it wasn't a surprise, I didn't quite know what to expect. And and it also, what happened is it sort of, Sykes on Bikes evolved. It's still a work in progress. Every year and every ride we do, we're sort of just manipulating our process and what we do and finding new roles to embark on. It, I think it took me a while to, you know, to get to understand that, that we really, first of all, that we really did need quite good community involvement. Because the way we started off was often sort of showing up in a town and inviting people to come into a presentation about mental health. And we did two or three of them, and we kind of realised that we were speaking to the converted. The people, you know, that the were people who came into those, yeah. yeah, yeah, they knew all about it. They were actually working in the field or they had treatment. So we thought, well, how are we going to get out there and interact with the community? We, we've done a whole variety. We've done the presentations, and we, we're always happy to interact with local GPs and mental health professionals and sort of educational forums. There's a lot of experience and talent that comes along on these sites on bikes rides. You know, we run our own little conference, and, but the community involvement is we offer free health checks and we divide them into head check and body check. And the rationale that I'm putting forward for them is that I think that there are four silent killers in the bush, and the silent killers are diabetes, high blood pressure, alcoholism, and depression. They're the silent killers. That's what you're trying. That's what I'm trying to screen for. Yeah. So we ended up actually realizing that we had to go places. So we ended up going to RSLs and pubs, and we went to the rotary meetings, and we'd go to men's sheds. We've even been in Tasmania. We stopped off in an abattoir over lunchtime, and all these blokes came wandering out of the abattoir with blood all over their aprons and sat down and had their health check with us. And it's just magnificent, you wow. know. <laughs> but we, uh, we, wherever we go, it's very rare to not feel entirely welcomed, you yeah. know, and appreciated, you know. So, so there's a great reward in it for us. Well, Joe, you've done over a thousand health checks. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, on this ride, this is the biggest ride we're doing is the ride coming up May, June, and there's going to be probably at least 300 more people we're going to interact with and talk to directly, you know, take their blood pressure and ask them about their emotional well-being. Yeah, so if we talk about that then, so the team's embarking from May till the end of June, pretty much, seven, eight weeks, and it's mainly from Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth. Uh, sorry, yeah, Sydney, Melbourne, and, and Brisbane. And, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So what, what's happening, it's, it's all going to start this weekend, is that we've got a contingent leaving Melbourne on Saturday, a contingent leaving Sydney on Sunday. Hopefully we're going to get on Channel 7 News that night. And a contingent leaving Brisbane on the, on the Monday. We're all going to meet up around Roma in Queensland. There's going to be over 20 of us. So we've got three psychiatrists and five or six psychologists and probably a dozen mental health nurses. And um, what we're doing on this ride is we are visiting or being visited by the staff of the big cattle stations between Mount Isa and, and Darwin. So there's one big cattle station we're going to, Brunette Downs, where they're probably getting, and the staff from the stations around are going to, going to drive down the dirt roads and come and join. We're going to have over 100 people to sort of process through and, and talk to that day. Similarly, in Daily Waters Pub, they're going to get three or four of the local stations going to truck their people in and we'll do presentations there. And so this is going to be like a really busy, full-on thing. There's a couple of filmmakers coming along and they're going to try to put together a pilot, hopefully even for a series. 
I gather we're going to get a few minutes at least on, on ABC landline, but we're actually going to be sort of full on. In Catherine in the Northern Territory, the parents of, of Dolly Everett have asked to meet us as we go through. Dolly's the pretty young girl who suicided yeah. after being bullied. And so her parents, Kate and Kick, have uh, have set up charity, Dolly's Dream. So we'll be talking to them and visiting them. They're actually getting together a few of the locals there when we're in Catherine. It's just going That's to be... Great. It's just a full-on community engagement event. Joe, would you say this is probably the the busiest ride that you've ever done so far? Oh, this is this this is going to be the biggest yet. Yeah, it's going to take us a week to to, to get up to Mount Isa. It's going to take us another week to do the cattle stations, get to Darwin. Then half of them are going to turn around and go back home. That's going to take them another week, and then the rest of us are going to just continue. So turn left at Catherine, and we're going down to Perth. And coming back across the Nullarbor for the fifth time over to where it all started, back to Sydney. Yes, yeah, so that'll, that'll take six weeks. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I and you've got twenty-two riders, is that correct, or thereabouts? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah, has that obviously it's grown since the first time when you had three or four of you going across? But yeah, look, Science on Bike, like any organisation, it sort of goes through growth spurts. Just before the pand- the pandemic actually came along and the lockdown came along at kind of the right time because by then I think everyone had kind of done a long ride and we were looking for a new theme and a new way of interacting with the community and new places to go. And then when the pandemic ended and kind of Sykes on Bikes really awoke and a lot of people showed interest and joined us. And, and then I got this idea about the idea of the cattle stations. And when we approached them, they were very welcoming as well. So this is going to be the biggest thing we've done. 16,000 kilometres, 12 cattle stations, seven weeks, 22 riders. I mean, has it been easy to organise for you? <laughs> no. It's a, it's a loaded why, question. I yeah. guess not. But. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I remembered my mate back in 2010 going, Joe, that's a lot of organisation. And me going, ah, it'll be easy. And no, there's a... There's an immense, you just don't get it until you're in the position where you've got to organise it and there's an immense. Thankfully, we we have a um, an events manager, Christine Foote, who, who contracts her excellent services to us and she's been incredibly helpful. Prior to this, it was just me with my laptop on my, on my lap in the evening at home with my wife nagging me for the you know week or two before we went on the ride just trying to throw something together at the last minute. But this one we've done, this one we've planned months in advance. What's some of the challenges that you've had when you're trying to plan for this, such a trip like this? Look, what we've got to do is we've got to we've got to get together a group of riders. We've got to organise what the team is to do the health checks. We've got to organise an itinerary, come up with some suggested accommodation options. We rely on all the sites organise their own accommodation, they all pay for themselves and they, they volunteer their time. We've got to reach out to each of these communities to see whether anyone's interested. If you can find like what I call an ambassador, if you can find someone in the community who, you know, who, who's prepared to help, then, you know, that always makes it immensely easier. Mm. Then you've got to do some media stuff because it is about, you know, what we're doing now is sort of, this is about raising awareness of mental health issues and what's going on in the bush and there's about, we run a committee, we have sponsors, we have a patron, uh, Dr. Brendan Nelson. We have, so it's kind of a really established organisation that just now it requires a lot of bureaucracy and a hell of a lot of cold calling and a lot of marketing and a lot of public relations. 
Do you have much of a team that's helping you do all this stuff? Look, um, we've always had a kind of a quite a devoted committee. There are some cyclists on bikes who are, I call them rusted on, where they kind of they wandered into the organisation within the early years and really, really identified with it. And they identified with the motorcycles and mental health theme. Yeah. That's also very useful in the bush for blokes is that motorbikes are a conversation starter. Yes. People don't think about psychiatrists and psychologists in leather jackets. And what do you do with the funds that you raise? Obviously, everyone's paying for their own way, but is there, yeah. does it go in? What, what does it go into? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's a very good question because, um, look, first of all, you've got to work from the principle that if you run a charity, the expenses of running a charity before you even do anything are probably between five and ten grand a year. Yeah. Because what you need is accountants and auditors, and you need a lot of insurance, and you need yes. professional insurance for the committee. Yeah, you know, yada yada yada. Then we get into all of these other things related to the only way that we can do this size of project is to contract an events manager. And then on top of that, everyone gets a couple of t-shirts. And then we've redone our website. And then, you know, we're buying a lot of medical equipment for the health. So we kind of, you know, we're pretty talented at burning money, but we also try to be quite frugal. It adds up, yeah. It adds up. And I mean, on the smell of an oily rag, you have to do the best you can as a small charity, don't you? Definitely, definitely. Have you found it hard to get sponsorship or raise money? Has it been a, quite a, a challenge? We've had an excellent principal sponsor in in the form of Ramsey Healthcare. Oh, so Ramsey yeah, has, always has a long-term interest in mental health and particularly in rural and remote mental health. They've got an increasing interest in that now. More recently, we've also had a, a very generous sponsorship from the West Queensland Primary Health Network because we're actually going to be in their area doing, you know, assisting some of their clientele and then, and then we also re- rely on people want to donate to the cause. There's all the information on our website, sitesonbikes.com.au. There's all the information about how people can donate. Rest assured that it all goes to the mission that we started off that's spelled out in the Constitution, and we do that very diligently. And Joe, tell us about, I mean, some of the outcomes that you're really trying to, to achieve with this. I mean, you'll be able to rattle them off better than myself, but reducing stigma uh, for people in rural and remote areas, suicide rates, trying to create more awareness, support, screen people don't mm. often get the opportunity. Tell us about some of the great things that... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, look, no, what you've just said, tick, 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 that, that list, yeah, that's exactly... Well, that, first of all, there's the sort of the awareness raising where we... And it all sounds sort of very fluffy, but the more people are out there talking about, about mental health, the less is the stigma. And that really... You know, the good news is that that's actually changed over there. When you talk to old GPs in the bush, they'll say that blokes are now more, more willing to talk about what's, what's happening for them. We want to destigmatize the, the mental illness issue. We also want to help with education for any of the, our colleagues in, in the bush. We also, as I said, we do our own conference, so we educate each other. When it comes to the health checks, I mean, often what we end up doing is it, basically it's a screening process. So it's mm-hmm. not unusual. It's, it's the rule rather than the exception that wherever we go, we'll find someone who's got a physical or emotional issue, which is kind of, you know, which they've just been carrying for a while. There's actually one, I think, this is my own opinion, there's actually one of the goals which no one thinks about, but which I actually think is probably one of the most important thing, things that we do. And that is that what we're trying to do, and particularly for blokes, is to get them to be able to sit sometimes for the first time 
across the table from a psychologist or a nurse who's saying to them, how are you? You know, and here's a, you know, and, and we give them a list of questions. And it's a sort of a conversation starting question related to you're happy enough with your life and do you sleep okay? And do you get nightmares? And do you know what a panic attack is? And so we sort of, we'll, we'll give them a list. But what we actually want them to do is have a think about what they're feeling emotionally from day to day. And we want them, want them to have the experience of actually feeling comfortable in talking to someone else about what's happening for them. And the reason for that is that what I'm hoping is that it's five, 10 or 20 years down the track. If that person, particularly a, a guy, gets into a real suicidal mindset, then at least I'm hoping that he will have the memory that he actually sat with someone to talk about himself at some point and it didn't hurt. You know, it mm-hmm. felt safe. Yeah. You know, does it feel safe to say, I'm really struggling? If you've had that experience, and feel that it's and feel that someone can hear it and, and respond to it and give you some hope. Then maybe in five, 10, 20 years, if that, that person's getting into a really despairing mindset, they'll remember that. Have you seen any noticeable changes in the ten years or so that you've been venturing across the Nullarbor or across Australia? I actually think that the whole mental health world is changing, and. A case in point, my, I was talking about my father was an obstetrician. When I said to him well, 40 years ago that I'd look, I'm going to go and specialise in psychiatry, he was quite horrified because psychiatry and mental health, even doctors didn't get it. And though there's still a lot of there's still a lot of doctors and nurses who don't get mental health. But I, as I've said, I think I've got the most interesting job in the world. And if you can help people to get peace of mind and enjoyment back in life. That's kind of one of the most satisfying things that you can do in all of medicine. It's better than rashes and broken bones. It's sort of, it's more satisfying. Times are changing. People are speaking this language. It's going to be all right. Do you foresee the Sykes on Bikes concept, the initiative being carried out for another 10 years? And if so, what is your plan to still be there even in retirement to help <laughs> help be a part of the initiative as well? Well, I would love Sykes on Bikes to carry on. Now, here's the deal. We're all mortal and I know I'm not going to carry on. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking about semi-retirement, so I'm not 21 anymore. Yeah. Now, I would like it to carry on. The greatest our Achilles heel is that I started and I've been driving it. And, but I do have a very good committee. And now with Christine Foote, I have a very good events manager. So it's getting to the point, what I'm screaming out to the committee is like, get someone else to take this over. I don't mind. I'll come along. I'll be the talking head. I'll just come along and bludge, but get someone to take it over. But no one's actually putting their hand up. But I'm, I'm actually sort of creating a structure, I'm hoping, where the organisation can run less with, with less of my input. And then hoping that some white knight will arrive and tell me, Joe, it's okay. You know, you can you can go out to pasture. Um, I think that there is... Sykes on Bikes is now known widely. If you work in mental health, there are very few people who have never heard of Sykes on Bikes. It's known quite widely now. We've been to a lot of places. We've had a bit of media attention. And there are some rusted on Sykes on Bikes where I'm hoping that they won't just let it fold. Yeah. As you think back over the last 10 years, what's been one of the one or two of the of the best stories from your trips away? Is there anything that stands out for you? There's a key moment that says, yep, this is why we're here or this is what we're doing it for? That's a very good question because, my goodness me, there are a lot of key moments. There was a ride we did through Queensland, and, and this is 
this is another of those phenomena that happen when you're riding in towns and you're introducing yourself to the people as someone who's come in and kind of interested in who they are and what they're doing. So you're not just a tourist and, and they treat you differently. There was a woman there, a farmer's wife once, who said, we were doing health checks in a, this tiny town. I can't remember where it was. She said, you want to come and see my husband's aeroplanes? Oh, yeah, okay. So these were toy aeroplanes. There was this whacking big, big hangar in a, in, a, in a field that was about only a few kilometres out of town what? that was just packed with tiger moths and antique aeroplanes and crashed helicopters. And, wow. And there was another time that we did health checks and there was an indigenous guy came in and he said, and he appreciated the health check, and he said, would you like to come and see some indigenous remains? So, and we said, sure, this is all right. You know, we don't want to offend the cultural sensitivities. But what they actually had in this town was a little, this looked like a little concrete garage with no garage door on the, on the, on the, on the periphery of the cemetery of the town. And in it were these display cases of, the, of, of Aboriginal remains that had been returned from the museums in, in the UK. They talk about repatriating yeah. their loved ones. And this is where they'd come. Wow. And he showed us where they were and, and, and gave us a kind of a wonderful little tutorial, really, on what it was like. And they talked about their nation and how these remains had come to be there. You know, once again, the sort of things that, that, that the great nomads don't see is that they, yeah. they're appreciative that you're coming. And they'll give you a sort of special credit. And has the indigenous communities, has it been something that's been a key focus of the trips and will and continue to be? Look, look we, we, it, it hasn't. And in fact, we've spoken about it a number of times. We would be very happy to become involved with any of the indigenous communities, but we have two big disadvantages. So the first is that there are those sort of huge cultural ramifications. So you have to be invited onto the, onto the indigenous communities and you have to be obviously exquisitely sensitive to the cultural issues. Mm-hmm. The, the second issue that, that sort of militates against us is that with sites on bikes, we're always on the go. So we'll land in a town, we'll try to do something that night and the following morning, and then we'll get on our bikes and we're into the next town. Yes. In Aboriginal communities, people like us are called seagulls because we fly in from the coast and we just land there for a while and then we fly out to the coast again. And, uh, and you know, so that... There's not enough of a permanence. It's all very transient. And I think that that people in those sorts of communities would probably find that frustrating because there's a lot of people show up in their communities who just make life worse, worse, worse for them and then get in their cars and drive away again. You know, I think that's the feeling they have. Yeah, I mean, but it must be, yeah, what a, what a great opportunity, though, to meet some incredible people in these in the yeah. rural and, and remote part of Australia. And Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think it's, oh, look, there are, as I said, there are just the wonderful people out there, and it's kind of pretension free. It's a pretension free zone. Yeah, what you see is what you get, and I'll speak their mind and invite you to speak yours. Do you camp alongside of the road much, or is it all sort of motels and? Well, there are quite a few of the sites this time, particularly with the six week trip, who are going to be looking at sort of camping or even going to camping grounds. Oh, I joke with them though that few years in the army and i refuse to camp now unless someone's paying me you know so i'm quite happy to kind of go and sort of go and hide away in my motel room with my ensuite and my you know and my internet and my tv and sort of you know, just get off the motorbike and go do something a bit sort of comfortable for a change it sounds so good joe and i i mean what an incredible journey this year's is going to be because obviously last year i assume there was there was no there was no endeavour. Everything went into abeyance last yeah. year. 
So, mate, it must be something that everyone's so pumped to be a part of and such a great initiative. Is there any other words you want to share with our listeners in the closing marks or anything else that I haven't asked you about that I should have? No, no. Look, maybe if I could put my hand out. The Also, the um, the filmmakers who are coming along with us, they've got a crowdfunding page because they're, they're yeah. obviously trying to fund the idea of putting together a documentary. Look, the only other message is if you work in mental health, if you, you're you a bona fide mental health professional, we prefer people who are tertiary trained, but if you work in some field of mental health and you ride a motorbike, feel, feel, you know, please contact us. We do have social rides, so we're not expecting you to show up one day, meet a lot of people and ride with them for six weeks. <laughs> so we have social rides where people can come away for an afternoon or overnight and have a pub meal and get to know Sykes on Bike. So given that yours is a mental health association, um, yeah. if there are listeners out there who are interested in joining us and supporting us, then, then you know please contact us. What a great cause. So our association is packed full of mental health professionals. So. We encourage if you have a love for bikes and you want to know more about it, please head to their website, which is, Joe? Uh, Sykesonbikes.com.au. Okay. Yeah. Joe, thanks very much for your time. Mate, it's been really good to hear about what's going on. I, I really wish you the best of luck for your trip and it'd be great to touch base after and see and see how it went and, and what went on. Yes, yeah, by all means, definitely. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.